Welcome to Understanding Buddhism in America. My name is Mike, and before I start talking today, I'd like to give a shout-out and a thank you to Kevin from Texas for the very nice review he left on iTunes about the show, a shout-out to my friends at St. Pete College, and to Rachel, Sarah, Jimmy, and Bill, who all emailed me asking for a shout-out. So there you go, wish granted. If you would like a shout-out or would like to tell me about an experience or leave an audio clip for me to play during the show or what have you, you can email me at understandingbuddhisminamerica at gmail.com, all one word. Today, I want to talk about enlightenment. Not everybody likes to talk about enlightenment, and there's actually some discouragement among Buddhists to talk about it at all. Some believe if we talk about it, it could cause rise to the desire to be enlightened, which may actually inhibit the enlightenment itself. Most Buddhists agree that it's certainly not the most important issue to talk about, because the most important issue will always be the relief of suffering. After all, the cessation of suffering was the reason why Buddhism was constructed in the first place. Anyway, today the subject is enlightenment, so if that sounds offensive or disrespectful to you, you may want to hit stop right about now. So, you still with me? Great. All right, well, the first half of this podcast will be about enlightenment itself, and the second half will be a pretty awesome first-hand experience I had with realization. I don't want to scare anyone off with this, but I feel it's an important story for me to share, so all I ask of you is to try and keep an open mind. All right, now that all the disclaimers are out of the way, let's get started. Spiritual enlightenment means something along the lines of awakening to the truth of the world. There are many words that can be substituted for it, such as formlessness, non-self, non-attachment, realization, no-mind, or insight. It's important to note that enlightenment isn't supernatural. Actually, I guess in a way it is if you take the meaning of the word supernatural to be literal, as in extremely natural, rather than paranormal. Enlightenment is like silence. Silence exists under all sound, whether we can hear it or not. We usually can't hear silence under sound because our minds and ears are dual-natured. This means we tend to think that if something isn't white, it must be black, or if something isn't left, it must be right. But we get so caught up in these mental categories that we've invented, we forget about the options that something can be gray or that something can be straight ahead. This is one of the things referred to as the middle way. Our minds love thinking dualistically because our egos love grasping and attaching to things. This is because our minds have been conditioned to attach to things over years and years of mental habits. If we attach to the idea of left, anything else seems new, unknown, and maybe a little scary. To continue sheltering our egos and not to challenge them, we immediately think everything that isn't left must be right. In politics, you can see this example in people who think if you're not a Democrat, you must be a Republican, or vice versa. Enlightenment is the act of completely letting go of that dualistic nature. It isn't a religious experience, enlightenment itself isn't rare, and it isn't mystical in the Western sense of the word. In Buddhism, mystical usually just means unable to be seen, so thoughts and emotions could be mystical. Enlightenment can be found in all living beings. It exists within every human, animal, and plant. Everyone is a Buddha. You're a Buddha. I'm a Buddha. And even the cockroach on your wall that you want to kill is a Buddha. It is simply the truest and purest versions of us. Try and think about it this way. Everyone hearing this has experienced enlightenment before. While we were infants, we had no idea what anything was named or what anything's function was. We didn't know about good or bad, and we didn't know about right or wrong. We didn't have any thoughts of distinguishing between me or them. 
The reason why we didn't was simply that we weren't capable of thinking any differently at the time. So we lived immersed in our formless, non-attached Buddha minds. As we grew, we learned all about names, concepts, forms, ethics, and philosophies. But we learned about them with minds that were being conditioned to be dualistic. This way of thinking sticks with us because it feeds our egos, making us feel temporarily good when we learn something, but never giving us the lasting satisfaction that we desire out of wisdom. So we continue feeding our egos with our dualistic minds, hoping that someday it will be enough. Our minds will declare they're wise and content, everyone will agree, and we'll live happily ever after. But this will never happen. Buddha encourages us that the dualistic mindset is not the key. We had it right the first time. If we continue down the path we're on, we'll never be truly content and we'll always be searching for something outside of ourselves to make our lives better and the world a better place. But there's good news. We can uncover our original minds. It won't be easy to get there because we need to brush off or shed all the years of mental bad habits that we falsely establish make up who we are. The truth is we are not our personalities, our habits, our thoughts, or our concepts. We know this is true because there was once a time we existed without any of these things. Enlightenment is really just finding our way back. Try to think of it as simply the quieting or silencing the parts of the mind that we usually refer to as the self, and just experiencing firsthand everything that's left. Don't be fooled into thinking it's the answer to all life's problems because it's not. An old Zen proverb talks about what an enlightened life is like. It says, Before enlightenment, chop wood carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Even Buddha himself faced challenges after his enlightenment. This is one of the reasons why there is some discouragement from talking about it. Our dualistic minds assume that enlightenment will be the answer to all of our problems. If enlightenment is possible, then the mind's dualistic nature declares that it must not be enlightened yet, and it must become so in order for us to live our ideas of a perfect life. It's not that we're not enlightened. We're all in line right now, no matter what our personalities are like. This is just the same as how silence exists right now, no matter how much noise you hear. And it's not that enlightenment is the answer to our problems. It's more like a change in our points of view that's so immersive, our problems don't seem so difficult to overcome. We've accepted them as extensions of ourselves. Whenever a problem arises in our lives, the hardest part of solving it is always acceptance. It could be accepting that we have a problem, accepting that problems are natural and common, or maybe accepting that we're capable of solving problems. Once we've found that acceptance, though, all it takes to solve our problems is some good old-fashioned thinking and determination. Buddhism is such an inspiration to me that it's difficult for me not to share it, teach it, learn about it, or at least think about it daily. And one of the reasons is because for me, I found more wisdom and truth in the words of Buddha than anywhere else in the world. One of the truths I was fortunate and blessed enough to experience firsthand was enlightenment. Now, I want to make it clear I'm not saying I'm a Buddha. I'm saying everyone is a Buddha. I'm not saying I'm anything special. I'm saying we all are. I simply glimpse the enlightenment that's within us all. In fact, I already know of at least one other person alive who's been through a similar experience to what I'm about to tell you. A brain scientist named Jill Bolt Taylor, who gave a TED Talk, which is currently on TED.com, and you can go look it up, suffered from a stroke, which caused the left side of her brain to temporarily shut down. When it did, she experienced something amazingly similar to what I went through. Except luckily, I didn't have a stroke. 
She both temporarily lost the recognition of certain objects, including thinking her own body was strange looking, and also the mental boundaries between a her and the rest of the world. She humorously calls it her stroke of insight. I've decided to call what I experienced enlightenment, not because it sounds nice, but because whenever I read or hear about enlightenment, I can personally relate to every word through my experience. If someone were to email me tomorrow saying I must be wrong, and instead I just experienced non-self, non-attachment, the left side of my brain quieting down, or insight, I wouldn't argue that they're wrong. In that moment, I experienced all of those things. The bottom line I'm trying to make is that I don't really care what people call it, and if you find the word enlightenment inappropriate, feel free to change it. But I'm choosing to call it that because honestly, that word just fits the experience better than any other. The truth is, language sometimes just fails to capture what we're trying to say, and I think this is certainly one of those situations. I'm going to start off by talking a bit about my background. Don't worry, I know this will be boring to a lot of people, so I'm calling this next segment 22 years in 2 minutes or less. So let's start at the beginning. I've been a Buddhist for around 2 years. Unofficially, I felt like I've been one all my life. I remember when I was really young, I had this vivid dream about the afterlife. I never actually died in my dream, I was just aware that I had already passed away. And I was standing in a long white hallway with many orange doors on my left and my right. On each door was a gold label with the names of all the many religions. My entire family was with me and they were walking single file into the door marked Christianity. I tried to follow them because I was raised Christian, but a man stopped me. I can't remember a single detail about him, though I do remember I couldn't recognize him. And I asked him why he stopped me. He told me it was because I belonged in the Buddhist door. He opened up that door, I walked through, and I woke up. I don't take much stock in dreams as I have one almost every night, but this one really stuck with me. After becoming Buddhist when I was 20, which I talked about in my last podcast, I began meditating. I started in a very naive sense of what I could accomplish. I thought it would help me unlock an everlasting, blissful, heavenly state. But this was just my ego talking, wanting to get its way one more time. I picked up some meditation music and did my best for a while, but it just wasn't something I really enjoyed doing. Then I started going to a Shambhala meditation center. Soon I learned much more effective ways of meditating. I purchased a cushion and I began practicing on my own. So that's my background. I think that was under two minutes. Feel free to correct me if it wasn't. And here's the account I want to share with you. I was meditating from 30 minutes to an hour, though I make a point not to keep track, otherwise it stays on my mind throughout the whole meditation. I wasn't looking for anything special to happen. I was just trying to unwind after a long day. I like meditating when I feel like my mind has become really clouded, and it does a pretty consistent job of clearing it up. It's important to note that I didn't have the experience while I was meditating. I'm not sure it had anything to do with it, really. I had finished meditating already, and I decided I was going to take a shower. I started to undress, but before I even stepped one foot in the shower, it happened. I felt the sensation of falling. Like I was diving through my life, letting go of absolutely everything without even trying. It was like walking off a cliff, that low gravity, air under my feet, excitement in my legs feeling. I also felt that everything in my life was falling off of me like broken armor. When I say everything, I mean all of my emotional and personal baggage. I temporarily let go of my memories, of all the ideas of who I was, to the point where I hardly remembered my own name. Not only that, but even basic object recognition went right out the window. 
For a few brief seconds, I didn't know who I was, where I was, what anything around me was for, or what I was even doing. But I should definitely say that it wasn't scary. With the sudden freedom that came from this formless, labelless experience, I was able to see the world and everything in it, including myself, as equal and as one. I wasn't attached to any of it and I had no preferences. I understood that everything in existence was essentially equal. I felt everything was just as much of an extension as me as I was an extension of everything else. I never felt more happy or more at peace. And this was the defining moment that later led me to believe what I was experiencing was enlightenment. Something in me knew I could stay in that state if I wanted to. I never had to leave. I had escaped everything to the point where I barely remembered what I was escaping or why I'd want to go back. Something in me knew it was a mindset I had felt before, when I was a baby, or perhaps when I was unborn. Something in me also knew it was a good indication of how death would feel. Now, I don't actually remember much of being a baby, or really any of being unborn, and I certainly can't tell you what death feels like with 100% certainty, but I'm saying that if this feeling did and will apply to those things, it wouldn't surprise me. I remember consciously deciding not to escape forever. I felt like I could just leap from the world at that moment, just get carried away by a breeze. But I wanted to stick around. I guessed I probably had plenty of that same freedom before I was born, and I'd have plenty more of it after I died. I decided there's no sense in being impatient over a mindset that will probably be around to experience for eternities longer than my own lifetime. All of this lasted only a few minutes or so, though it seemed like years, before I felt my mind finding its way back to its previous state. I decided not to try to force my mind back by thinking about all the things I had let go of, and instead I just tried to sleep. I was actually quite tired at this point, and I no longer had a clue what was going on. Despite my not trying to force my mind back, all of a sudden my mind was grasping at all these memories, fears, doubts, and thoughts. I felt like a scared kid again. For all I knew at that moment, it could have been a near-death experience. I'm convinced what I was feeling then was the part of me that I call my personality, or personal and emotional baggage, attaching back onto my true self. Later, I understood that I simply couldn't have continued living in that completely formless and non-attached state because I wouldn't understand the world enough to even move, let alone survive in it. I ended up drifting off to sleep after a few minutes, and the next morning I woke up with a completely new outlook. My ego, which used to be a screaming child I tried to quiet with force or bribery, now felt practically asleep. It still is, though it occasionally wakes up, of course, but all I have to do to put it to rest is to remind myself I'm human and forgive my ego for all of its complaints. From that point on, I've never feared death. I found peace with all the deaths of my loved ones, and faith is something I haven't worried about at all. I bring these things up because these were some of the most liberating and wonderful things I experienced. All of my emotional baggage had fallen off my shoulders, and afterwards, I understood that the true weight of it all was nothing. Enlightenment simply means awakening to the truth of the world. It doesn't mean any more than that. It was the ultimate realization that the life I was living before that moment was not only fine, but it was the perfect way to be because that enlightenment existed underneath it all, and it will continue existing within all of us for the rest of our lives whether we realize it or not. It helped me understand that I should stop spending my time trying to change my life, even by searching for enlightenment, and start using all the time I can loving it, accepting it, and loving everyone and everything in it. 
if I love my friends, family, and myself, and I accept that everything living is equal and that we're all alive and enlightened, then I should love everything that's living just as much as myself or my friends and family. This is where I like to think of as the birthplace of compassion, unity, and equality. The funny thing is looking back and seeing how enlightenment was built up in my own mind and how I wanted it so badly. Now I understand it's in every single person, including me and including you. I truly believe it's the natural state of all living beings. This isn't a new age concept. Buddha was telling people all of this back in when historians estimate was 400 to 500 BC. I now know that enlightenment was always inside of me and I just hadn't realized that. Buddha taught that every living thing is a Buddha, but if we never truly believe it, then this remains a secret. I really used to think enlightenment was a permanent state too, but for me to want to be in that moment permanently is simply my ego desiring a permanent, satisfactory state of being. We all know that's not how the world works. There is nothing permanent. Enlightenment means awakening, and you just can't keep feeling an awakening forever. At some point, you're just awake. I feel no need to try and find it again. I sometimes feel a desire to, but like all desires, I try to quickly and gently release it. I won't purposely look for it again. I have no reason to. I see that my search and longing for enlightenment was just my ego hoping for that lasting bliss type of state, which I now know is very misguided. Instead of finding what I wanted, I found out that wanting it in the first place wasn't necessary. I have no advice for others who want to find it or any answers as to why I experienced it the way I did or in the moment I did. My best guess, and this is really just a guess, is that my mind simply was trying to figure it out and couldn't until I let it rest by doing something else. Which makes sense to me because that's how I used to manage my math homework in school. If I couldn't solve a problem, I'd just take a break and usually the solution would hit me. This is also a reason why chanting and prayer can be beneficial even if you're not religious. Admitting to ourselves we want a certain outcome can call on our minds to subconsciously help us make our desire come true. For a long time I struggled with talking about this experience because words really fail to describe it. When I say that I experienced enlightenment, it sounds all wrong. In that moment, there was no I that could be pointed out, there was no experience that could be distinguished, and there was no enlightenment that I could name. That's what the word formless really means. People often use the phrase attain enlightenment, but this sounds even more wrong to me because, if anything, enlightenment is characteristically unattainable. Not in the sense that it's impossible to realize, but rather that enlightenment itself is the letting go of all attainments. No one can attain enlightenment because, for one, it's already in our grasps at all times, and for two, because the act of trying to attain is the opposite of letting go, which is necessary to experience it. But then again, if I told someone that I spontaneously realized the unattainability of the enlightenment that exists within us all, they really wouldn't have a clue what I was talking about. Anyways, the moment was wonderful, it was scary, it was strange, and it was familiar. It showed me everything in the world was equal, and I understood from that moment that I should love everything and everyone equally to myself and my friends and my family. It was my enlightenment. I'll certainly try to never forget it, but I certainly won't mind if I do. Thank you for listening to Understanding Buddhism in America. My name is Mike, and if you'd like to contact me for questions, comments, yelling at me, or uh, asking me to give you a shout-out, or even if you'd like to leave a soundbite for me to add to the podcast, you can email me at understandingbuddhisminamerica at gmail.com. My next episode will be about overcoming problems using Buddhist concepts. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.